Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. Hey everyone. So on the occasion of back to school, I thought it was very fitting to have an episode that focused on edtech. Though edtech has very many shapes, forms, and sizes, the focus of today's episode is going to be on experiential learning, particularly outside the classroom, in the form of internships and apprenticeships. That being said, we'll also touch on how university professors can change the way they deliver lectures in order to have effective classroom sessions, which would be relevant for those of you who will be going back to school this fall. My guest on today's show is Mehrad Yagmai. He is very involved in the edtech space here in the UAE. He is both a co-founder of an edtech company, as well as an investor in an international edtech company. On a side note, I'd also like to let you know that you can now submit an audio file to us by visiting our website, sparkwithshireen.com, and clicking on the Be Featured menu. Once you click on that menu option, you'll be sent to a page on our website where you can record an audio file and send it to us directly. Feel free to record anything you'd like to say to us, really, whether it's a comment or a review or a question. I'd be more than happy to feature the relevant audio submissions in future episodes, and that way get some engagement going with the listeners. As always, thank you for tuning in, and let's jump straight to it now. Mehrad, it's really nice to meet you. Welcome on the show. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I know you're not foreign to podcasting at all, right? You're a podcast co-host yourself. Yeah, but I'm foreign to being on this side of it. So. <laughs> Have you never been interviewed for a podcast before? No, no. <laughs> this is the first time for everything. Welcome. Thank you. So the topic of today, Mehrad, is EdTech. And when you and I were emailing and we're trying to figure out a topic and you suggested EdTech, I thought, perfect. Because actually a lot of people have been wanting me to talk about EdTech, given that the academic calendar, uh, academic month is right around the corner and people are a bit confused about education and whether or not they should go to university. What would you say if you had a pending offer to start university in fall, would you go? Depending on, I think, how they're planning to roll out their curriculum. A lot of the feedback I've gotten through this Zoom world or this Zoom curriculum, a lot of things seem to be lost in translation. So there are elements of, let's say, that networking element or that camaraderie of the classmates is sometimes lost in Zoom. And to be honest, the best ones I have seen do it well are the ones who kind of do pre-recording with some post-production of some kind of like almost like a TED talk because they blend media with the conversation. But not all professors can do that. Not all of them are equipped to do that even. I'm actually doing a master's right now that is predominantly online. It's actually blended learning. The idea is that you are in a classroom environment at the start of every semester. So you would have met it the professors once and your classmates once, but then you continue online. It's not the same experience. I agree with you. Absolutely. For professors who want to go into that post-production bit that you recommended, is this a cost they would need to incur themselves or a cost that you think universities should embrace? I honestly think the university should come up with their, let's say, own production team and pull every professor aside, give them, you know, a way to do their scripting. But even just... TED Talk-like, but again, all this requires good post-production and 
to be honest, I think it's a great idea if universities invested in that, if especially if they're thinking of charging almost the same tuition fee or exactly the same tuition fee. It's exactly fee. the same tuition fee. And they actually sell it as a pro. They say, oh, well, now you don't need to leave your job. Now you can join from wherever you are. Just log on. And to be honest, sometimes I think, well, if you even use the animation function in PowerPoint, it'll make things more interactive. It's just such a bummer. I do a lot of presentation prep with my founders who who now have to found... And sorry, just to clarify, when I say my founders, I mean the founders that I work with at Fintech Hive, who now have to pitch to investors virtually. My advice to them is actually don't rely on content-heavy slides because you're going to lose them. You're not in the same room with them. Just make it easy. Make them focus on you as speakers. Use your slides as visual aid and just talk to them. Going back to what you just said with the pitching for founders, one thing I'll tell you as well, in the last few months, it's really hard to read someone sometimes over Zoom. Sometimes there's a little bit of a lag, a delay. And especially if you're pitching, <laughs> it, it can be difficult. Uh, I just want to give a, a, a throw something out there. There's an app called Mm-hmm. How do you spell that? M-H-M? It's M-M-H-M-M. So if you try that, it gives you the powers to do what I said earlier, like that John Oliver effect. So you put your slides in position, you can move your person around yourself and it transitions so smoothly. It's hard to describe by what I'm saying, but if you just look it up and see the power of what mm-hmm can do, it's a blessing for the Zoom world. Oh, wow. So Merad, let's jump into how this ties into EdTech. If someone decides to postpone going to university this fall, what other options do they have to learn? So they're too young to get a full-time job, but they need to pick up some skills, do some learnings, kill some time. What options do they have? Well, if we want to go to the extremes, they can do a gap year and just go explore. But I don't know where they can even explore today. Normally, gap year men travel around, but they can't even yeah. travel around. So let's say an 18-year-old is listening to this podcast right now. They're yeah. in Dubai. They're stuck at their parents' house. How can they make the most of September to December coming up? Uh, I mean, one thing I would sell, and there should be like a caveat here, who's saying this? Uh, something like an apprenticeship, uh, an externship, whether that's remote or even in person as an internship, but something along those lines where they get the real world experience by actually being involved in some actual corporate project, if they can, obviously. What's the difference between an apprenticeship and an internship? So an apprenticeship tends to have a bit more of a structured, let's say, mentor or some driven by some mentor to the apprentice. So an apprentice is tends to be, you know, the apprentice to someone, whereas the intern can usually be the office intern. I, I don't want to say that all internships are bad, but a lot of them tend to lack some type of structure, whereas an apprenticeship tends to have some type of structure or some type of guided learning, I want to say. And when I mean learning, it's not like, like what you say, university, it's more in the sense of these are the things you're probably going to do. You might not know how to do it, we can show you the ropes. We can show you how to get started. But this always assumes there is some level of understanding by the apprentice who's coming into the program. It's not. It's never truly a blank slate. That's where maybe an internship is. But an apprenticeship tends to have some level of understanding of the basic skills required. I just don't know how to apply those. 
I've never had a chance to apply those yet. So what you're saying sounds like a hands-on internship. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. All right. So basically an intern who does more than just data crunching and getting coffee, someone who's actually learning skills. Yes. Yeah. Do people still use the word apprenticeship, especially in this part of the world? We're trying to bring it back and by trying to bring in that same mentality of what you just referred to. So Mehrad, when you say we, I want to kind of pause there and have you tell the audience what you mean by we, because I know the work you do through Curious, but perhaps you can tell the listeners a little bit more. Sure. Uh, At a high level, Curious aims to bridge the gap between academia and the workplace. And how we do that is by enabling students or talent, as we like to call them, and talent can be a recent graduate, a student, even someone who's looking for a career change, to engage in corporate projects with mentorship from industry experts. So in summary, it's that apprenticeship I just hinted at. So, Is there an age limit? Let's say Shireen wants to learn sound engineering. Can she go and seek an apprenticeship or is she too old? Our longer term vision is no, you're not too old. And the reality is the job workspace or the workforce is changing. The skills we require for the next decade or next decades are changing at a rapid pace. And we might need to reskill or upskill ourselves. So no, you're not too old. And you actually said you're going to Columbia right now. So. Well, I'm actually doing an executive master's at Columbia, not an undergraduate degree. But you could be learning a new skill though. So. I could be, but it's hard to virtually, you see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, priming my Zoom skills is what I'm doing. Um, so this is very interesting. Now, how do you, on the other side, because I can understand that for a young student, they who who wants to spend better who wants to spend his time better they'd easily go to curious and say please find me an apprenticeship how about the corporations providing the apprenticeship opportunities are they easy to onboard is it easy to sell this type of model to them there there is obviously a learning like there is an educating part of it like you said so there's a bit of educating of what is the difference between let's say an internship and an apprenticeship and an easy way of easing them into it is thinking of as a a managed internship. So the idea is that you're going to get that same intern that you were going to get, but now we're going to couple them with an industry mentor. Uh, A lot of universities have capstone projects and they require sometimes students to do three to six months of actual experiential learning, let's say. So that's what we're trying to create as a more universal opportunity for students. So let me pick on quality control. And the reason I want to pick on it is because I actually went through an experience recently where I worked with a group of students whom I commissioned. I think if that's the right word, I commissioned them to do a a research uh, that they wanted to do as a capstone project. And it failed miserably. Now, firstly, just to provide some context, these were pretty bright students. They were a group of master's students at the London School of Economics. So I'm an alum. That's where I did my bachelor's. They reached out to alum via email one day and said, hey, uh, who's working on some interesting projects? Can we get some students to do projects for you as their capstone? So I went ahead and onboarded some projects, uh, or rather I onboarded a team to do a project. Um, I had super high expectations. 
and they just disappointed me. And I'll tell you why. Um, they did not stay in contact the way I would have expected an intern to be in contact, nor did they deliver work that was unfamiliar to me, meaning they did not add insights. They mm. relied a lot on primary research, sorry, secondary research, secondary, so yeah. on, online research, yeah. because they weren't at the company. They don't know the company. They were just kind of regurgitating things that I had told them. Anyway, how do you go about ensuring to corporates that the quality of apprenticeship is so great that they're going to keep wanting to have more and more students on as apprentices? So a question for you, how did you go about even onboarding or selecting, let's say, those few students? What, what was your process? Did you even have a process? I think there was a bidding process that the university managed, actually, because I had to submit a project brief, but they reached out to me and said, hey, here's the team and team, by the way, not just apprentice. It was a team of people. And I took it from there. Our quality control element starts a step before that, where we actually allow when you're creating that brief, you actually identify what are the skill sets or the tools they need to be able to know or have some degree of knowledge about depending on what that is, there are some challenge they take to be able to apply for that apprenticeship. Perhaps had I met the students in person and we were in the same country and we could have done this face-to-face, the experience would have been different. And this kind of goes back full circle to the start of our conversation where we said learning is difficult virtually. Um, Mahad, are the apprentices or rather the apprenticeships that Curious provides encouraged to be virtual or do you want the students on site at the corporations as much as possible? So if you asked me this six months ago, it was a very in-person focus, but we had the online element. We always had our workspace, which is where a lot of the task management and the mentorship, let's say, the requests are made and their mentorships jump in. But ever since, obviously, what happened in February when we realized things were locking down, we really focused on that virtual element. Or if I'm seeing you every day, I'm going to get, like, whether I ask you or not, you're going to tell me what you're up to what the progress is. So we created these elements of these nudges within the system. So there are those updates, reflections from the the apprentice themselves. So even if they spent that last three days not doing much, when when they get that notification. So what were you up to these last few days? Where did you did you run into any bottleneck, any issues? Did you get any feedback from the corporate sponsor or the project manager who's dealing with you? Do you need help from a mentor? So we create these nudges for them to realize that maybe I could do a better job. Maybe I should push myself further. Do they get compensated for the apprenticeships or are apprentices free? Okay. Yeah. So that's on the corporate side, but at the end it's up to the corporate. And uh, to be honest right now, a lot of corporates are hurting at least smaller SMEs uh, because of the COVID situation. And we understand at the same time, these students just want some experience So we came up with a few, let's say, campaigns where we allow smaller companies to be able to tap into apprenticeship. And again, if they're not able to, you know, compensate with monetary aspects, what else can they compensate them with? Are the apprentices within your network UAE based or have you expanded across other areas in MENA? Currently, it's only UAE, but we are slowly opening up further. Interesting. And are the corporates in your network MENA-based or are they international as well? They're MENA-based, but this one company I'm referring to is 
uh, UK based. I'm curious, have any of the apprentices seen their engagement with the corporates transform into a full-time job? I don't know if any went into full-time as of yet, but I do know a few of them did convert into some further engagement beyond us. In what areas and topics are most of these apprentices apprenticeships taking place? Um, I I would assume that that would be a reflection of the skills gap corporates have at the moment. In that case, it's data science. What we're actually starting to see is, uh, and I can also mention this now, I think it's we're past embargo. So with DP World, they're actually doing computer science. So they're actually looking for these more next generation skill sets that are required for their apprenticeship. And again, in these corporate scenarios, these larger ones, they're doing these apprenticeships as a, almost like a, a pre-hiring phase. So in these cases, they are hoping the candidate is the right guy or right woman to actually go to the, to become full-time sales hire or not sales, but to become the full-time hire that they were looking for. So in addition to data science skills, are there any skills of the future where corporates are looking to obtain a graduate pipeline in? One which is always popular, which we see a lot of companies, is just in general marketing and social media. And I think as more and more new platforms, let's say in the last year or so, how TikTok has exploded, I think most Older marketers don't even understand that. So (laughs) students today are probably the best, most insightful people to tell you how TikTok works, how (laughs) to engage an audience in, in that realm. What are some professions that you think will always need that classroom environment? You can always read those. You can always pick up a book and just read history and read all these different things. But there's some element of that theory or philosophy where the right professor can really bring it to life for you. Like that aha moment is triggered with that right educator. Hmm. And I believe, Mehrad, you're a advisor to a remote tech bootcamp school called Avion School, correct? Yes, yes. Perhaps you can tell the listeners a little bit about how that school operates and how is the model it's different to a traditional university. The more innovative model is not even this learning aspect. I think it's more how you pay for the tuition. It's based on income share agreements. So the idea is that you don't have to pay them anything until you get your job. And then once you get your job, it's a percentage of that salary to pay for that initial amount that was pre-agreed. So it's not a never-ending loan with interest. It's a predetermined amount, but you don't need to start paying it back until you actually are guaranteed a job. So it's the responsibility of that institution now to place you in that job, where this is a bit of a shift from university where, yes, there are career services. They try and do as much as they can. But to be honest, they're not going to be placing 3,000, 5,000 students coming out of these larger universities every year. And in what countries does Avian School ensure job placements? So Avian School itself is actually uh, in the Philippines, but their whole notion or their whole premise is that remote work is you know, becoming more acceptable. So what they're able to do is supply startups with uh, engineers, software engineers, who work within your 
tool stack within your tech stack. There's nothing stopping someone um, who lives in the Middle East right now from accessing Evian School, I'm assuming, as a student. But if the model of the school is to make money by ensuring a job placement, then it is up to the school to make sure it builds the foundations with corporates in the geographies where their students are, um, provided not everyone's comfortable being digital right now, but to nevertheless guarantee placements and therefore it can make money. Yeah. No, no, that's why I honestly think it, it's something that needs to really focus. Like you need to localize to some extent. Mm. Just because it works somewhere doesn't mean it works elsewhere without that localization. Mm, very interesting. Mehraz, I wanted to pick on one aspect of your founder journey, which is leveraging and leaning on the ecosystem here in the UAE. So I know that you were a previous participant of the Dubai Future Accelerators, correct? Yeah. Yes. I'd love for you to share with me your experiences, good or bad. Oh. Uh, and I believe that you partook for Curious, correct? To help build that. Yes. I, actually, I was a double alum. So there, there was a previous startup as well. But yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you the well, Curious. <laughs> the experience, let's say. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I would say my experience, again, it's my experience. So whatever I say, it's how I experience the program. And for me, because we work with KHDA, which I honestly think is one of the most forward-thinking government entities I can think of globally, almost everyone there or anyone they introduce you to, they are always your advocate. So especially when they develop their KHDA team that works with the DFA or the Dubai Future Accelerator, anyone assigned to it really gets to know the company, really gets to know who they can make the best intros to. So one thing that should be made clear, they don't typically, let's say, endorse the company. But what they do is try and give you as much support as possible. Even in the scenarios where they weren't able to, let's say, do a direct introduction, by having them, let's say, give their blessing of you going out there to talk to people. And that hustle, we actually got four universities sign up with Curious at that time. They did great events where a lot of the ecosystem comes together. And when I mean ecosystems, not just startups, but the education ecosystem. So they invite all of them. They invite you to be a speaker at different events. So that's how they get you exposure. Did you join an education-specific cohort or the cohorts industry agnostic? Interesting. Okay. So So yeah, the DFA is divided into the different, let's say, government entities or partner entities. And in our case was KHDA, Knowledge and Human Development Authority of Dubai. We always had the opportunity if, let's say, our startup solution could work with others, they were happy to make introductions as well. Mehrad, I'm conscious of time. I've gone way over. Uh, I spent too much time complaining about universities, but (laughs) thank you. I had a wonderful discussion. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshereen.com. You don't want to miss out on future announcements. Subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshereen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you 
have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.